Ever feel like you're doing this teaching thing alone? You don't have to be. Share Teaching is all about sharing the workload through the power of collaboration and teamwork. Together, we'll walk through all the difficult parts of teaching and learn how to streamline our processes, fine-tune our time management, and develop a more manageable workload. If that sounds like a dream come true to you, then welcome to the Shared Teaching Podcast. Let's share in the teaching to make those dreams a reality. Now here's today's Shared Teaching. Welcome back to the Shared Teaching Podcast. This is your host, Susan, and you are listening to episode number 31, Fun Ways to Learn Sight Words. So if you are a first-time listener, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, don't be afraid to put a review on iTunes. It will help more teachers find these podcast episodes. And also it gives me a little encouragement along the way to continue. And maybe if you have some ideas for future episodes, I would love to have you give me some ideas for that as well. Okay, so for fun ways to learn sight words, I'm sure you've heard of a lot of different ways. And two episodes ago, episode 29, I believe, we talked about my introduction to sight words. So what do I do when it's maybe Monday morning and my students are learning their new sight words? So I walked you through that process. So if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and take a listen to episode 29. And today we're going to talk about different ways that I have my students practice their sight words. So first, we want to know why should students even practice sight words? So if you're a new teacher, you probably heard about it, but maybe you really don't know the reasoning behind it, or you just think, well, everyone else does it, maybe I should just do it too. So sight words are high-frequency words, and students encounter these in their reading quite often. And when we have them practice their sight words, they gain a better ability to comprehend what they are reading. So in other words, they're not spending all of their brain power trying to decode everything. They can spend their brain power on the words that they really don't know. And then the sight words, they can read through quickly. So if you think about it, if you're sounding out everything in every single sentence, by the time you get to the end of the sentence, you probably don't really realize what you read because so much of your energy is spent sounding out those words. So when we kind of front load students with the sight words, it really takes the pressure off of them sounding out everything and it really really helps them focus on those words they don't know, which a lot of times are the content vocabulary words, and then they can better understand what they've read. So when students know several of these sight words, they also begin to gain confidence in their reading ability. They begin recognizing sight words in print, and this kind of fuels their desire to learn even more. So they're not feeling like they're on that struggle bus and, oh my gosh, I'm just so bad at this and reading so hard. They really start to gain some confidence. Most of the sentences in the English language are comprised of sight words, so knowing these words is really essential for reading. So there's a lot of research-based strategies for teaching sight words, and the latest is geared towards not always doing flashcard drills, but by helping them learn the sight words by using phonics to decode the word parts. 
Really Great Reading is a phenomenal website that really helps tie in the science of using something called heart word magic to decode parts of sight words. So what a student is doing is they're looking at a word, let's say the word is the, and they might know the TH says so they already know that part of the sight word. The part that's unfamiliar then is the E on the end because it's not a silent E and it doesn't have a regular E sound of short E. So they're having to memorize just that E on the end of the instead of the whole word and just say, well, that's the sight word, just learn that. They already know part of it. So they're using what they can to decode the sight word. And there's a really cool trick that they do with the hearts on there. So if you head to really great reading website, you can find a little um, couple little introduction videos that you can also play for your students that help you learn how to decode the sight words using this heart word magic. So I encourage you to give that a, a look at. It's I find it really helpful. This is something that's new to me as well, but it makes a lot of sense having them tie phonics to the sight words because not all sight words are true sight words. There are parts within the word that kids can decode. Okay, so students should also be practicing seeing these sight words in print. So you want to show the word in a sentence, and you're going to ask students to maybe provide additional example sentences. Maybe go on a hunt for the word in books and magazines. Building context around the sight word helps students learn and understand the word much better than just memorizing it or, like I said earlier, those flashcard drills. So you want to make sure that you kind of have a sight word in a sentence when you're having the students practice it instead of just seeing it always in isolation. So I use the five-step method that I talked about at the beginning of this podcast episode to introduce our new sight words. So after I introduce them on Monday, the rest of the week, they're on an individualized list practicing their sight words. And for this, I use a product that I created myself that I call my sight word spelling program which I will link in the show notes off of shareteaching.com forward slash podcast if you found this through another method. So with that, I have my students grouped an individualized list, and I find that differentiating my sight words has a much bigger benefit than the whole class practicing the same list of words throughout every week. We might introduce a list of words to the students for the whole week, but then some of those students already know those words. So they're practicing what they need to know, and then the students that still need those words, they've kind of seen them in Monday, and then they're seeing them again in their personalized list that they're practicing. So after we've introduced these words using my five-step process, I offer students a variety of ways to practice their words using hands-on methods, such as making the words in Play-Doh, maybe writing in shaving cream, which makes your room smell amazing if you like the smell of shaving cream, and creating sight words necklaces using alphabet beads and pipe cleaners, right? We've all seen those, but... 
there's a reason for that, and it's that they're tried and true methods. So students still find them fun and engaging, even though I've been teaching close to 13 years, and I've seen them probably for 13 years. Every time I break out things like the shaving cream or gel packets, the kids are blown away. They think it's so fun. So it's new, fresh, and exciting for them, even though they're ideas that have been around. Okay, so I like to model these activities throughout the first few weeks of school, and students use their differentiated sight word list to practice their words. So that's my goal, is usually by the second week of school, students have been tested on their sight words, and I know where to place them. As we learn a new way to practice, we add it to our I can chart, which is placed near the word work shelf. So an I can chart, if you're not familiar with those, is just simply like a poster that you put near the center or the activity that the kids are going to practice and it's a list of things that they can do with those materials. So I'm a big believer in working smarter not harder and also having things that are multi-purposed. So for example a word work center might have alphabet magnets, alphabet beads, stamps, and wiki sticks, pipe cleaners, and with all of those things there's a variety of different activities that students can do, and they can do them all year long as long as you change out their word list. So having different words keeps that center fresh. So that's the way I look at my centers. And so the I can chart is just simply a little list that students can reference back and say, what was that one thing that we, we could do with these alphabet blocks? And maybe I have a bunch of different things listed on that chart. Okay, so I feel like it is very important to have daily opportunities for students to read and write their sight words. So later on in the year, I will introduce more things. So I kind of hide some things and keep them to myself at the beginning of the year. And then as the year progresses, I'm like, oh, and here's another way. Now that we know these five ways, here's another two. And it kind of keeps the center fresh and new as the year progresses so the students don't get as bored. What I don't want to do is release all 20 ways at the beginning of a school year. And by the end of the school year, the kids are like, I've done this. I'm over it because we haven't held anything back. Okay, there's nothing wrong with giving kids just like maybe three ways to practice for like a month. And then the second month, maybe it's another one or two ways. And you just slowly release it as you go, keeping that center fresh. And then you'll have less behavior problems because the kids aren't as bored. Okay, another great research-based strategy to use is making sure some of the sight word practice contains an anchor sentence. So my sight word Play-Doh mats in the sight word letter boxes are a great example of this. Students find them fun and engaging centers that are easy to use, and they're color-coded, so it's really easy to put them in matching colored bins so students can find the right um, list that they're on and the sight words that they need to practice when they're in centers. I don't worry so much that within the yellow band of words, there might be like 20 words, but they only have five words to practice because they're going to eventually either they're practicing those words again and they're getting re-exposed to the previously learned words. And so it's kind of spiraling for them, like a spiral review. And the other ones might be new words coming up, and there's no harm in them learning them and practicing them early, right? That's how I think of it. 
So I, if they're on a yellow word list, I will let them practice any of those yellow words. If the student is struggling, then I will look at the group of Play-Doh mats or sight word letter boxes, and I will say, okay, these are the five that I want you to focus on this week. And maybe I'll put like a little dot or something with an expo marker or a visa V marker so that they know like when I go to that center, I'm looking for the purple dot ones. And then they can find the ones that they should be focused on first. So I also like to assign students a practice buddy. And this is a little bit harder with COVID, but as long as you're having the students sit in my district, it's three feet apart, then you can still have them work with a buddy. So because students are assigned a differentiated sight worst of list of five words, I group my students on the same list to practice together. Each of the practices last until one of the partners masters the list and moves on to a new list. And then they kind of get a new buddy after that. So this helps keeping having a practice buddy fun and new because students don't get a chance to get bored having that same partner for weeks on end because normally a student won't stay on the same list for several weeks. If they do, then there's definitely a problem. And I'm looking into that, right? So as a teacher, I'm keeping those groups fluid. I'm keeping them moving. And sometimes kids cycle through those groups very quickly, especially if they're uh, studying at home and they're keeping up with practicing at home. They're going to move through those lists, a new one every single week, sometimes two new lists in a week, and their practice buddy is going to change with that. So partners can choose to work on the center, such as the Play-Doh practice and the letter boxes together. And then the five minutes of every single day, I set aside for flashcard practice. Now, I don't think all students learn through this rote memorization of flashcards. I also feel it doesn't really hurt to see the same word and have that exposure to the same words multiple times. So students use their flashcards, and they just have little paper ones that they've cut out. So I give them the sheet of photocopied flashcards, like there's five on a page, five on a half sheet, and they actually cut them out for me. I don't spend any time cutting them apart. They cut them out, and then I just give them a little box that they keep them in, so I don't even need to hole punch them and ring, put a ring on it. They literally just slide it into a pencil box <laughs> that is specific for their flashcards, and they keep them in there, and they're all loose, and it works out fine. I have them write their name or their initials on it, so if they're mixed up with their buddies, they can get the right ones back. Okay, so at the end of every day, they get the five minutes to practice. They take their flashcard box. They sit eek, elbow to elbow, knee to knee. So E-E-K-K, that's from the Daily Five management system. And then one student is going to be reading and spelling. The other student will be holding and showing the flashcard. Once they've gone through that set of cards three times with their partner, they switch the roles. So now the other student is holding the flashcards and the student that got to hold them last time is reading and spelling those words. They can also choose to alternate partners after each time they do a card or after each time they run through. They just have to kind of know where they're at and how many times they've gone through those words. To keep the flashcard practice fresh, I assign a different style of practice every day. So Mondays and Wednesdays are just for reading and spelling the flashcards. Tuesdays and Thursdays, the students read the flashcards and then spell the words without looking on a whiteboard. So the buddy is holding the flashcard so the other partner can't see it and kind of quizzing their partner. 
On Friday, we treat it like a practice test to help students kind of get over that test anxiety where the partner will read it to them. And then their buddy has to orally spell it two times. So they're not looking, they're just spelling it out loud because Tuesday and Thursday they practiced writing it. So then the partners switch after every word so that everyone has a chance within that five minutes to practice and spell their words. This way, by the time you get to the end of five minutes, it hasn't just been one partner because they're alternating. Students love having this quick practice at the end of the day, and it's a really great incentive for them to pack up early enough to be able to get to it. Because I'm like, we got flashcard practice, guys, and they're like, let's clean up. So it's a really great way to kind of get that incentive to pack up and have that time. And it's also a really great way to put a... um, spin on your dismissal where you're still learning up to the bell, but the flashcards don't take any time to put away. It's very quickly to slide it back in their box, put it away in their desk, wherever you have them keep their stuff, and they're on the way out the door. The other way that's a fun way to practice sight words is to create paint bags. So you can do this um, as gel bags or paint bags. And it's a really fun and inexpensive way to practice the sight words. And usually it's reserved for like kindergarten, but I think why can't second graders do these kind of things? Because it's still fun for them. It's a tactile experience, it's hands-on, and they still need it at the first and second grade level. And probably even some third graders would enjoy it too. So what you do is you get the freezer bags of like the Ziploc bags. And you want to make sure that the freezer bags, because they always stand up and they're a little bit thicker than just the regular bags. I generally stick with the quart size bags, but then I also get a gallon size bag. So I like to have two bags. The quart size bag is what you're going to put the small amount of paint. And then I also thin it out with some water. So I just use either acrylic paints or finger paints. You can find them a lot of times at the Dollar Tree. You just squeeze a good size amount in, add some water, mix it around until it's semi-thick, but it's movable enough in the bag that you could see like drawing letters into it. And then you wanna make sure that you squeeze out the excess air and you seal it really well with packing tape or duct tape around all the edges. And then I take that bag and I put it inside another gallon bag. So I take the little quartzite bag that has the paint and water and I put it into a gallon size bag. And the gallon size bag I also tape up on the top with the tape. And this just gives it like extra assurance that it's not gonna break open when kids are using it. Because some students tend to be kind of rough with some of those things and they might like bang their hand down on it and then like the sides kind of burst open and it starts leaking but if you have it in a second bag then it really doesn't have that problem so the other thing you can do is put hair gel in it and then you can find those big like containers of hair gel at the dollar store as well and you put like a big old scoop of it in there and I like to squeeze a few drops of food coloring if it's not already a colored gel. One time I was able to get like a red colored gel so I had I was able to skip this step and then you put the gel in there. I don't add the water because the gel seems to work really well. It's already pretty liquidy and it's just like a hair gel right? So you can do it with the gel or the paint and then what you do is you teach the students to put like their flash card underneath the paint or the gel bag 
And then as they trace their finger, they can trace the letters on the card and it will show through the bag because your finger kind of moves the paint away or the gel away and you can see through underneath. If you'd like an example of what that looks like, I do have it in a post on my blog, so shareteaching.com. And I believe it's under literacy, and there's one about hosting a sight word night, and there's a picture of these gel paint packs that I made as a, like a make and take for parents at a sight word night. So you can look there. And I will also have it in a post called How to Learn Sight Words in a Fun Way, which goes along with this podcast episode you're listening to. So shareteaching.com forward slash podcast. It'll be the one right on top, episode 31. So if you like these ideas, please make sure that you let me know. Give me a little shout out. I love hearing back from listeners or readers of my blog. So I kind of know if the things that I'm doing are useful to you. So thank you so much for tuning in and I will... Talk to you next Wednesday. Bye for now. If you've loved this show, then join me in sharing the teaching, hitting that subscribe button, and leaving us a review on iTunes so we can be found by more teachers like you who are ready to start sharing the workload. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Find new episodes each week on shareteaching.com. Thanks for listening to the Share Teaching Podcast. These sight word buddies practice um, lot. All right, looking. Okay. Um, they're when they have.